All right, so here we are, episode four of The View from 32, 1932 Criterion Theater podcast. We're really happy to have Peter Linquist with us. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, it's, uh, we've had three of these that we've done, and it's been, it's been really fun. It's been really cool to talk to everybody, and really happy to have you here, taking some time out of your day to, to chat with us for a bit, so thank you. Thank, thank you. Yeah. I've seen two of the episodes, and okay, I'm, good. I'm very impressed. And, you know, good choices of musician and nice work on the Well, that's, on the show. Uh, that's Chuck. Chuck has been getting some great people in here. So we're, we're really, really grateful for him and the work he's been doing, too. So it's been, yeah, yeah it's been really fun. And, yeah, uh, yeah I'm, I'm usually not one to be on camera as much, but I've been enjoying t chatting with everybody. And it doesn't really feel as much like a shoot as more of a conversation. So it's cool. But, but you play, too, right? I do, yeah. I, I'm a musician, and my wife is a musician, and we, we don't as much anymore, but we write and record and all that, Very and it's cool. fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we enjoy it. Um, have you, uh, speaking of writing and recording, have you been doing any, any, anything with music during this? Well, you know, everything is a, it feels like an extension of winter for me. I you totally know, you get that. You close up and you do your winter work. For me, it was projects like, mm. the, I'll show you these records in a, in sure. a minute. But, uh, you know, for a few years, I do some kind of a recording and writing project over the winter. Mm. And this year, I thought I would do something like that, but I also got started on kind of woodshedding. I'd hit a couple of brick walls in my technique, mm. and uh, I have no illusions about being a hot bluegrass picker, <laughs> but the technique is real good for you. Oh, yeah. And so, uh, you know, I started woodshedding that a lot, which meant, mm. like, you know, totally admitting that my right hand sucks and I got to start over. Yeah. And so in a way, the extension's been helpful because I'm back to being able to play coherently the way I want to play instead of the way mm -hmm. I used to play. So it's getting there. But, yeah. you know, it's almost a blessing to have this time because the weirdest thing about it has been not knowing what to plan for. Of course. You know, yeah. if you know what's coming, you can say, fine, I'll... Uh, cool. In six months, I'll line some shows up. Yeah. But we don't even right. know that. Or I'll work up a visual show or I'll right. work up an album or... I'll, but we don't know, and to be honest with you, the only way to make your money back on making records at our level is live shows. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, oh, I don't think I've seen a penny of streaming money for an album that Gus and I did probably four years ago. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't come. It just isn't there. It's true, and it's totally, you know, it's weirder now because of Spotify and, and Amazon Music and all, all the things that, you know, so it's, it's not people just purchasing your album and it's a $9 download and then you get 7 bucks or whatever it is. Streaming, I don't even, not a whole lot of people even know how it really works in the back end. And so, yeah, you never really know what's going on. You never know what go what's going on in the fractions. I mean, you know, major songwriters are getting checks for $12. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's not the way to go. And I think more and more people are just saying, well, it would be great to be heard the way you get heard when you stream. Mm. But if there's no money in it and there is no money coming later from it, right. why? And, you know? and especially right now, it's even if they do hear on, on a streaming platform and they're like, oh, this person's great, I'd love to book them. Oh, wait, I can't. <laughs> so yeah. then you got really nothing coming out of it. So it's yeah. true. Right. So Gus and I did all the platforms, you know. Mm. iTunes, CD Baby, Spotify, who knows, I can't even remember the yeah. list. And then Bobby and I said, nope, direct sales only. Yeah. And I have a fantasy that somehow uh, 
a group of musicians or a, a well-established musician or some other philanthropist might put together a server to do what Spotify mm. does, but instead of using... The music is not what Spotify is there for. It's just to get people to click. Of course. And see the ads. Yep. So what they're really doing is selling your butt in the seat for their ad space. Right. And wouldn't it be great if you could click on a similar service and actually have the musicians get some of that money? Right. You know? Right. And that would be a nice thing to see because it's hard work. It, it really is to, to pour yourself into writing, to find, buy, have the gear, rent the gear to record, to Get go through the process the of mixing, it, yeah, yeah, mixing, mastering, all that, and then you put it out, and like you said, you're getting, you know, 10 bucks, and it's like, well, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, uh, um, I, when Bobby did her episode, she made a great point, and that is, there's a wonderful moment of interaction. When somebody says, I like your stuff, can I buy it, and you make the exchange, it's a nice moment, mm -hmm. you know, and you just don't get that with the anonymous click. You don't. I and remember. You get all the money. I remember when I was a kid. Uh, your, you know, your favorite band would be dropping a new album. And this was really before iTunes and Spotify yeah. and all. And the only way to do to do it was to go to Walmart, and hopefully it's not sold out. And you find it, and you're like, yes, here it is. And it 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 fe it felt so good. Yeah. And you just don't get that anymore. I mean, for me, growing up. I played my first gig in 68, I think, mm. you know, so I was a little kid, 11, yeah. 12 years old, but um, that, put, that gives you the time frame. So back in, when I started playing, you could buy an album in mono or pay an extra buck, buck and a half and get it in stereo. Yeah. And, but whatever the, whenever a new album came out, we'd run home and we'd look at the liner notes and the, and the album cover mm -hmm. and listen to the record twice through. Yep. It was, you never less than you know always at least twice through and you studied every oh totally scribble on the, on the yeah coat, on the well cover. and that's the other thing that's cool about you know records is like actual records is and my wife and i are that's one of the more hipster things we do now is uh, we we really like it's a records i approve of i know it's it's cool and yeah kudos to the hipsters for bringing that yeah. back but uh, it, it kind of allows you to listen to the album the way the artist wanted you to listen to the album, not just you know scrolling through a list of songs and clicking on one. You absolutely you listen to to every track and the flow of the music and how it was written and how it was recorded, and it's just cool. And I think a lot of that's being lost with the I digital think, era. I think a lot of things get lost in the digital era. You know, for one thing, studio time used to be real expensive. Yep. And when we'd go into the studio, we would be practiced, really practiced up. Mm -hmm. And then we could relax and enjoy the place. Right. But um, it could eat you alive if you weren't ready. Yeah. And uh, I think that produced some happy accidents. Y yeah, totally. And some cool energy and mm -hmm. records. It's true. And, and then again, you know, engineers really were engineers. Yeah. I mean, in England, or lab coats. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Well, and, and now for a thousand bucks and a laptop, you're now a record producer, and exactly. it's like okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is great because it, you know, it's allowing more artists to, you know, be able to make their art. However, it kind of lessens the the professionalness of it. I think, yeah, just change is inevitable. Of course. And one of the inevitable victims of change 
are the margins, <laughs> are the people at the margins. And like yep. for, as a musician, when synthesizers came out, horn players lost some work. Mm -hmm. But the really good horn players worked. Yep. Because oh, there's yeah. a big difference between a good horn player yes. and a synth line. It's true. And um, so, you know, it's, it is harsh. A lot of people, you know, I knew a bunch of engineers, they couldn't make the money work because the equipment's mm. expensive, the location's yeah. expensive. The it is. Heating and cooling is expensive because it has to be noiseless. You know, yeah. everything about their business was expensive. And it is a shame that I think quite a few did go out of business. Yeah. Had they been able to hold out, the world would have heard what a home-produced record sounds like as compared to yeah. the work they were doing. It's true. You know, It's true. And it's funny that you mention that because I, I was a studio music production guy in college mm -hmm. for two years. Uh, I, I was with mechanical engineering first, and then I was like, I don't want to be a mechanical engineer. Right. And I switched to audio engineering, and I loved it, and it was I it was amazing. And then I you know did a few records for for people and uh, producing and engineering them, and and I I liked it, but at the same time I was like, I don't know that I love working with musicians in the studio like in this kind of capacity. And that's coming from a musician, and I think it was a little bit more challenging because I would hear things and I'm like, ooh, we should try this, but you know, you have to kind of back off a little bit because it's their song and and the creative process is fragile it is it really is that's their baby you know their song is their yeah. baby and you don't want to tell someone else what to do and and it's and like you said I, I could kind of see you know it was going to be harder and harder and harder to be able to charge people for studio time when with a laptop and garage band you can go record your little acoustic ep and it's fine and you know the gear is good so if you're smart enough to leave everything flat <laughs> it's going to sound pretty okay to start yeah. with. You yeah. know, it's not like the old days where you really had to, you know. know like recording to two-inch tape on an old SSL console. Yeah, my first home studio was a, it was marketed as a stereo machine, but it was mm -hmm. really a two-track. Yeah. And um, it was unusual. It was a little Sony machine, but instead of one record for right and left going forward and one for backwards mm. or for the other side, this was separate switches. Oh, so nice. I could overdub without any time loss because it was cheap enough that it didn't have that extra head that mm. caused the time glitch. So I would do sound on sound in my little, that's know, it was awesome. basically a converted closet. Sure, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the beauty of it was such cheap gear. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't know better. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's weird, always weird to see, you know, the evolution of, and my wife does photography. And so looking at, you know, everyone's a photographer now because they have an iPhone in their pocket and right. Instagram, um, which is cool because it allows everyone to, you know, create. It's, but at the same time, it, it kind of, if you say you're a photographer now, it's like, oh, well, everyone's a photographer. And if you say you're a record producer, it's like, oh, well, everyone kind of is. <laughs> but the proof is in the pudding, right? I mean, how do the pictures very look? True. How does very the record true. sound? You know, yep. is, it, is it selling? Are they, you know? It's very true. Well, and that's and that's the thing. And it's funny because she shoots a lot of film still uh, with an old uh, Canon 35 millimeter film camera. Yeah. And uh, and that's starting to come back too. And it's just cool to. You can edit a picture, you know, a digital picture for an hour, and still not have it look as good as a film image. It's so it's so cool. It's yeah. You know, I I did some photography back in the dark ages. You know, and. <laughs> The darkroom work was half of the fun. Yeah, oh, totally. Yeah, you know, it was really totally. Well, speaking of you know photography, other things. What what else? You know, what what other career paths have you done? Anything well, oh, okay. exciting that you want to chat about? Yeah, let me see. 
my life has been spent largely here, in and out, um, from childhood until I was about 19. Okay. And I started playing out when I was 19. I played a few places in town. Ryan's Pub is where the uh, tailgate is now. Nice, nice. Jetty's was just a basement joint, mm. and a guy named Jerry owned it still. And uh, it was a dump. It was so cool. It was great. <laughs> He had a, a, an upright piano in the basement, no PA, no nothing, just a desk lamp on the upright. And if you played there, uh, you didn't get much if you got yeah. any money, but you know, you got a few drinks and I was underage and that sounded good to me. Nice, so. yeah. <laughs> um, I used to play there and one time uh, one of my sisters came to the gig, you know, waved the flag a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, we were teenagers and this guy that was interested in her was trying to impress her, you know, and, <laughs> So I go out on a break just in time to watch this guy get 86. He's drunk and he's rowdy and he's big and he's being obnoxious, so they throw him out. <laughs> and he gets mad and he goes up to his truck and he picks up his big old chainsaw. Oh, geez. And he, yeah, big old husky or something. He's, he's got this thing roaring on the street and he starts to go to town on the basement doorway. And he's really just trying to make noise and create hell. Sure. You know, he's, if he'd wanted to hurt that door, he would have been yeah. more efficient probably. <laughs> but <laughs> it was just the best scene. Meanwhile, this guy's trying to impress my sister. He's going, yeah, that's a triumph. You can always tell the triumph. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> I always was amused by that because I was getting to see what it really was. Yeah, he wanted to be Mr. Cool yeah. motorcycle guy. <laughs> and Jetty, the owner, was a legend. I, I won't go into his stories. There are enough other people telling that. Sure. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I, I found that you, you, it was a pretty meager living. Yeah. Uh, trying to make money in the 70s in mm. this region uh, as a musician. And so I went uh, west. Okay. And um, circuitous route. With, but with I, plans or just No, I just, pack I just up bailed. And go. You know, I said yeah. I wasn't, I, I bailed out of college and that meant bailing out of home. Sure. And um, so I went first as far as Wisconsin and I was in a bluegrass duo. Okay. Um, and uh, it was a great experience. I got to um, play in situations I never would have. Mm. You know that uh, I backed up my partner in the national flat picking championships. Awesome. The year that Mark O'Connor won. Mm. Years mm. later, his accompanist became one of my closest friends. See, you know, that's so cool. Yeah, it's, circles. Yes, yeah. And Love uh, it. Uh, then I ended up on a schooner. Okay. The schooner Western Union was uh, some folks I met had bought it out of storage. Mm. And uh, it used to tend the cable that ran down from Miami to Cuba. Okay. And then after the Bay of Pigs, they had to pull the plug on the project. So mm. they put it in storage, and we bought it from them. Cheap, 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 and fixed it up. Nice. And then things happened on that, and it didn't seem to be such a good situation <laughs> anymore. Uh, so I ended up moving to California <clears throat> to start a band. Okay. And ended up taking it on the road for a number of years. Very nice. And... Um, we didn't make any records ourselves, but we backed other people on records, and we mm. toured constantly. Yeah. Um, played uh, 48 weeks a year, usually. Oh, wow. That was, and, you know, if you played, if you're out there, you might as well be playing. Oh, so. sure, yeah. <clears throat> it was... Uh, That's a lot. That's yeah, a lot of traveling. It was never less, never fewer than five nights a week, I wouldn't think. Wow. And, uh, but you get good. Yeah. You know, or you get tight with each other yes. if you don't get good. Yeah. That was great. So anyway, I did that, and then I backed into, uh, ended up in Tucson, Arizona. And uh, they've got a great music scene there. 
really good. Um, that is one of like, the few, I've never been to Tucson. Never been to, I've been to Arizona, but I've never been to Tucson. Well, it's real different from Phoenix, for example. Yeah. It's a lot looser. Frankly, I think it's warmer, more interesting. Yeah. Uh, and the music scene is really good. One of the nice things about this area is the musicians are good to each other. Yeah, we have a really good mu musical community, artistic community here. It's I think like so none other. Mutual really. respect, mm -hmm. mutual aid. You know, yeah. I remember a while back there was a guy who ran into some hard times and everybody chipped in uh, to get him enough gear to keep playing. Yeah. And that sort of thing happens a lot here. And that was the way it was in Tucson. So we had a lot of fun with that. That's cool. Yeah. And in the meantime, I was selling musical equipment in Tucson and in Mexico. Okay. And I had a little, we had a little shop that I managed in, uh, in northern Mexico. All right. Because we had all these customers coming over from Mexico to buy gear. And we said, well, like, maybe we should go we down go there and see yeah. if anybody wants to buy it from us down there. Yeah. And so that was an interesting project. And it somehow led me to the field of translation and interpreting. Okay, cool. And then that led me to... Uh, a 10, 15 year career in academia. All right. Writing books on and teaching, interpreting. Wow. And translation. So what, what languages do you speak? Well, my main languages are English and Spanish. Spanish, okay. Um, there's some French, you know, gotcha. there's always been French, you know, yeah. in my life. Um, but, you know, up to an academic level, mm. my Spanish, although it came after the French, got way better than the French. So gotcha. you know, French is by far a third language. Yeah. Um, and, you know, when you do it at the research level, a lot of it's theoretical stuff. So sure. language, specific language groups are, for instance, you know, rather than, sure. you know, here's the theory and here's an example. Right. Know, so that uh, with my research work, I, <clears throat> I worked on trying to figure out when it is and when it isn't a good interpretation. Because gotcha. let's say I speak Spanish and you don't. Right. And I'm speaking, and the interpreter is telling you what I just said. Mm. Maybe he's right. Oh, Maybe gotcha. Maybe he's wrong. You don't know. Gotcha. And I speak Spanish. I don't know what he's saying in English well enough to know if he's doing a good job. And that could cause oh, serious problems. People go to jail over stuff, you know, mistaken impressions, mm. you know. Uh, like, so hey, can I borrow your car? No. Okay, cool, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Do you mind if I? Yeah. You know, because of the no answer? Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> But, I mean, that wouldn't happen in court, but, but right. yeah, that's the kind of miscommunication yeah. that happens. Yeah. Great uh, story. I used to mix sound for festivals, mm -hmm. and one of those things happened in English to English. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the guy goes, no monitor. And I say, no monitor, meaning you don't want any monitor. Oh. And he says, no monitor. And so I take him out of the monitor. And now he's got really no yeah. monitor. <laughs> and that's what he said. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We figured it out. But, <laughs> but the point is, you know, those kind of miscommunications happen totally. inside one language. Imagine crossing two in some cases. Oh, three. yeah, totally. So it's an interesting and important field. That's and cool. I was real excited about it, uh, enjoyed it, ended up teaching it at the, you know, doctoral and graduate level. Yeah, wow. And then the meltdown came home, and I had a chance to come home, so mm. here I am. Very nice. Yeah, and I'd much, you know... That was good. It was great. It was fulfilling. Yeah, of it course. It wasn't music. I totally get that. Yeah. No, I, I really do get that. Music is something that, you know, you, if you're passionate about it, and honestly, any sort of passion, if you're passionate about something, you just keep going back to it. You can't stay away. Because if you're doing something else instead, you're going to make yourself nuts about it. Mm -hmm. it it's true. It's know. so true. 
Um, so in terms of music, who who do you look at as an artist and say, I I, I, I want to, this is the person I want to be like, your influences. Well, I'm not sure I want to be like. Okay. You know, at, <laughs> at another point in my life, I think I did. Sure. You know, at this point, I keep thinking, you know, one of these days I'm going to find out who I am. Yeah. But That's, um, the, big, that's the big mystery, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. But uh, earliest on, my oldest brothers are 10 years older than I. Okay. So I was exposed to Elvis and Ricky, uh, Ricky, uh, uh, Nelson and mm. um, the Everly Brothers. Okay. And some really cool, really obscure country, you know, Farron mm. Young and, and, you know, the real Hank Williams. Okay, and, yeah, yeah. And all that from as far back as I can remember. Mm. And um, I'm from a big family. We're pretty eclectic musically, mm. so the taste got broadened from there. Sure. And uh, then when the Birds and the Flying Burrito Brothers came out and Graham Parsons, um, mm. uh, Clarence, Clarence White was the lead guitar player for the Birds for a number of years and also uh, played with Graham Parsons. His real name was Clarence LeBlanc from Lewiston. Oh, wow. And he became, many think, the world's top bluegrass guitar player. Hmm. And he was a Lewiston boy. Actually, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, but anyway, uh, the Flying Burrito Brothers was a band that Graham Parsons was in for a number of years. Okay, I don't think I've ever even heard it. I need to well, look them up. Well, you do yourself a favor and look him up. Yeah. He didn't write Even a based whole on time. the name. That's a, that's yeah, well, a good he, name. You would never have had the Eagles. Mm. You would never have had all kinds of really big big groups. Yeah. If they were sort of the musician's musician version of that music that the Eagles later came out with. Gotcha. You know, maybe a little rough around the edges. Yeah, maybe the less too many marketed ideas in the polished. arrangement, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. but really good, really sincere stuff. And, yeah. and uh, Graham Parsons ex started or at least exposed my generation to country music and thereby country rock. Yeah. And... Um, you know, but then on the other other hand, you had uh, John Fogarty, you know, Cadence yeah. doing another kind of what became country rock. Yeah, yeah. And that's you know that was huge, and so all that, and then of course the Grateful Dead. That was my first really big concert. Yeah, very nice. Um, with the new Riders and Jerry Garcia was playing Steel for the Riders, so mm. that was a, an event to catch. Um, and then a lot of bluegrass guys. Mm. Um, when I was about 19, I was tagging along with a bluegrass band who was doing the warm-up act for Doc Watson. Okay. And uh, they got there, and Doc Watson showed up and said, the PA is inadequate. You don't have enough inputs for the whole band. We simply cannot perform. Mm. Love to, but there's no way we can do it. And the guys I was hanging out with took what we used to call a sure vocal masher. It was a terrible-sounding PA, but it's <laughs> the one everybody had. And... Uh, they had one in the back of the of the tour bus, so for just in case <laughs> and rehearsal and stuff. Yeah. And so it only had four inputs, and I went out and counted them, and I counted what the house had, and I went and tugged Doc Watson's sleeve, and I said, "Hey, if I could cob together a system that let you plug everybody in, are you up for playing?" He said, "Hell, that's what we came for." Yeah. So I ran out, and I think I put um, what they each did was they ran a a uh, cheesy little piezoelectric pickup on each guitar. Yeah. That's about what there was in those days. Mm. And I ran that through the vocal masher. And then their mics, they had, uh, they also wanted to run direct mics. 
you know, run mics mm -hmm. to each guitar so to improve on that tinny little sound. Sure. And then have some vocals. And uh, there were just exactly enough channels to do it. And the guitars, the tinny, the tinny uh, guitar pickups went through mm -hmm. the tinny system, yep. and the better stuff went through the better rig. <laughs> and <clears throat> to thank me for it, he invited me backstage between shows, and he had, you know, an hour, hour and a half intermission. And we drank coffee and played guitars. That's awesome. It was the coolest thing. Him and his, his son Merle and the band, and they were just really good guys. That's really. so cool. Yeah. It's cool for, you know, I mean, you were just a kid, I mean, really. Yeah. And so that, that, that was probably such a cool experience that i mean obviously you've never forgotten about Decades that later and, yeah. i'm telling the story yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. that's so cool that, yeah. that he was he, he was cool you know to you know a kid that was that you know a fan that wanted to yeah. hang out with him and that's awesome and then the you know the two other aspects of music that deserve mer uh, mention are uh, the band mm. and little feet you know two Again, groups of kind of musicians, musicians that were huge in their time, which I recognize as having been before yours. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. They were super influential on the music scene mm. because they were smart music. You know, yeah. I mean? they, they, yeah. they thought about what they were recording. Right, exactly. And uh, it's, it made a nice contrast to the mm. other stuff that it was up against. Yeah. No, that's, that's true. And there's, it, I'd be interested to, you know, in 20 years from now, to hear the answer that somebody would give as to like who their musical influences are. Cause I mean, right now they're, it's getting harder and harder to find newer bands coming out that are actually using instruments. Everything's a techno machine and the, like EDM stuff. And, and so it is, it's harder to find bands but, now. Yeah. Wouldn't you, I mean, I kind of think that maybe that's because of, or that is the reason behind the, resurgence in acoustic music mm -hmm. and stripped down you know the yeah. one mic and there's there's around. lots of it i'm super into all that stuff i love it well i used to sell synthesizers when they were new on the market mm. affordable you know it used to be sure. they cost as much as a house and these the memory bank was the size of a bank right and um i used to sell them and so you know i'd play them mm -hmm. And I go, okay, I got this really cool fiddle sound. I got this really cool mandolin sound. I got this cool banjo sound. Go, Why don't I just play the mandolin <laughs> or the banjo or the guitar? You yeah. Know, I finally got fed up with faking it mm -hmm. uh, because it was a silly game. It w there was no point in making them sound great as acoustic instruments mm -hmm. when there's still acoustic instruments. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. No, so I, I'm, I'm <clears> the same way. Yeah. I love just, like you said, real stripped down, raw, just acoustic music it's super relaxing it's you know actually artistic and musical uh, which and again don't get me wrong i do like some of the stuff you know the new age stuff that's a little bit more you know electronic driven a it's a groove right yeah it's <clears throat> super catchy it's really well produced right and i can appreciate all that I, there honestly there isn't really a type of music that i'm like i don't like that type of music because i can appreciate it all we get tribal about our music it's true. But it's aside so true. from that, I'm with you. You know, anything that's well played is is good music. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can respect any kind of music because it, it any kind of music takes skill. When I was a younger guy, I, I know that I marked out my turf by what I hated. Yeah. You know, I was like, <laughs> what? How self-defeating can yeah, you know, that have been? But, but it's true. You know, it's how you showed... You know, mm. and I have to admit, I still won't play American Pie. I know I should. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I know it would be bigger of me to do it. But, uh, 
You got to draw the line somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's cool. Got to be small somehow. (laughs) (laughs) I got plenty of ways of being small, but I got to make sure. I understand. So, uh, what's your what's your process like when you write? Are you a sit down and plan out a a session kind of guy, or is it just you know things come to you and you run and write it down and play it? Pretty varied. Okay. Pretty varied. Um, Sometimes, well, one of the songs I'm going to do later. Because I think it's my wife said don't because it's she thinks it's too sad but it's got a happy ending. Uh, I love sad songs. So well, me too. It's perfect, it right? Yeah, it's perfect. Um, so anyway, that song came to me. You know, I think I had just put the kids to bed. You know, it was going to mm-hmm. be time to think about like dragging out a book and sure. killing myself. And a couple of lines came to me, and they came to me with sort of a melodic idea. So mm-hmm. you got to get that started. Yep. And then I'd been playing with these chord ideas. You know, mm. just stuff that made sense, but isn't typical of you know what we were hearing. Yeah. So a couple of cool chord changes came to me at that time, yeah. and I I just couldn't put it down until it was done. Mm. And you know, four hours later or something, yeah. I really did have a completed song. Yeah. But usually it takes a more struggle. You know, usually mm-hmm. I'll have a oh I've got this one song I've been working on forever. I've got pages of notes on what the verses might be. Yep killer chorus yeah <laughs> you know? honestly that's, that's one of the hardest parts is because you got to sing it three four times sometimes and so it's got to be good yeah but but it's no good to you until you get something else to go with also it. true <laughs> you know? also true yeah. yeah so it can be you know sometimes it comes to me almost formed mm-hmm. that's rare yeah um there's a song i tried to dredge up enough lyrics and it's been too long since i did it i couldn't do it today but i wrote about leaving here when i was 19 mm. and uh Recently, you wrote about it, or no, was this an back older then, one? Okay, and I, it popped into wow. my head the other day, but it didn't pop in with enough of the material yeah. To, yeah. to try to pull it off on tape. But um, so yeah, I, it's pretty eclectic, and uh, you mm. know, I like all kinds of music, and I enjoy playing all kinds of music. Yeah, I play a bunch of instruments. And so are you that, guitar, or mandolin, banjo, banjo, bass, harmonica, uh, some Spanish uh, folkloric instruments, okay. banduria and laud. Okay. And um, uh, whatever you can, piano whatever you can learn. Else. You know, there, yeah. there are others. I don't have the independence to play percussion. I, yeah. I, I'm just one of those guys that I yeah. leave that to somebody else. I always think I'm a good drummer until I start drumming because I can like do a beat and stuff. Yeah. But like, yeah, ask ask my wife about I, that. She'll yeah. she'll laugh at me because I I'm I'm like yeah I can play the drums and then I start drumming and I'm like yeah I can't yeah, play the no, drums. Not me, not me. <laughs> I play a lot with a guy named Nathan Grant. He's one of those okay. guys you want to punch him because he can sit down and do anything beautifully, you know. Yep. But uh, he can he can just sit down as comfortably behind the drums as any other instrument. And to me, mm. it's a totally different beast. It is. It's it's completely different. It it really is. But uh, so I I do that, and um, one of my projects was you know I multi-tracked uh, an album, a CD, uh, and played all the different parts on it. Yeah. And um, since I spent a lot of time in Arizona and I used to live in Mexico and I used to live in Spain, mm. you know, people often call me Pedro. So, or Pedro, <laughs> really, but Pedro. So I put out this thing under Los Pedros. Okay, P A Y D R O W S to Gringo yeah. Fight Good and Hard. <laughs> and then uh, the name of it was At Least I've Got Each Other. <laughs> okay, that's a good essay. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, never did get along with the bass player. Mm. You know, that guy was a jerk in that band. Mm. Yeah, you know, I played all the instruments, but that bass player on top. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, to me, I don't play them all particularly well. You know, I play some better, noticeably better than mm. others. Is but, guitar probably like your main yeah, thing? Yeah. Yeah, I'd say guitar is, and um, I like dobro a lot. Okay. Um, awesome. Can't but, say that I've ever tried that one. Oh, it's it's a really expressive instrument. Mm. It's, you can get cool stuff That's out cool. of it. That's cool. That's yeah. awesome. Um, cool. But anyway, I think you get to a point where the instrument itself is not as important as it being simply a means to hear what is rattling around in your head. Right. So producing other people playing or playing all the parts myself is not all that different. You know, mm -hmm. obviously I didn't come up with each of their parts. Right. But in my head, it's still just taking the elements and making sure that they form a coherent whole. Right. And that's what exactly. you do when you sit down with one guitar or a full, you know, production exactly. rig. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and that's all. <clears throat> the same we just said is true of uh, styles. Mm -hmm. You know, you could call it jazz, but if you listen to stuff like Jerry Douglas, uh, he's an acoustic guy. Mm. You most people call him bluegrass or alternative bluegrass. Yeah. But he's got stuff that's out there jazz, you know, yeah. way swinging hard jazz. Yeah. And he's doing it on bluegrass instruments. But, you know, where do you draw the lines between one label and another? Right. Anyway, you know. Well, it's true. And speaking of styles, uh, I've never really gotten super into the bluegrass scene um, in terms of, like, listening to music. Some of the, you know, the mainstream, Nickel Creek back in the day, yeah, I sure. really liked them a lot. Uh, but there's a band that... Um, a buddy of mine introduced me to called the Cleverlies, and I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Yeah, I'll but tell you why I know of them. Yeah, they're hilarious. Uh, they, uh, you know, for those that don't know, they rec they they do like newer songs, super bluegrass style, like rap songs. And they and take stuff. their name from the Everly Brothers, which is a particular kind of harmony. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. It's but it's so cool, and I just love that style where they they take you know these like they do a flow ride a song like and and just make it super bluegrass and yeah look them up because they're funny there was a band <laughs> there was a band called run cnw run cnw yeah and it was it was top top bluegrass guys mm. with a fairly obscure but wonderful songwriter named uh russell smith okay. last year <clears throat> doing most of the singing but these were bluegrass legends in the mm. band and they would do uh goof parodies of songs everybody knew okay. with bluegrass instruments. Gotcha. Know, Purple Hay up in my barn, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. It was, it, it, frankly, it got obnoxious after yeah, a while. Yeah. You can't listen to it two sides no, in a row. No, you can't. But it's it, great for a chuckle, you know. Yeah, exactly. And then the musicianship was scary good. Yeah, you know? and see, that's what's so cool about, especially bluegrass musicians, they're some of the best at playing with a band, some of the tightest musicians. It's, it's all about collaboration. It's beautiful. It's yeah. amazing. It really is. Well, it's a super disciplined bunch mm. you know uh they're so disciplined they can be loose yeah you know yeah and but they but they they all seem to be like that together and it just is so cohesive part of that discipline is you just never ever ever step on anybody else ever yeah. for anything yeah so if it's somebody else's moment you know your whole gig is to give them that boost yeah and that's all you're there for yep and then when it's your moment you got all these guys just giving you a boost yeah. and it's the nicest feeling in the world yeah knowing that you're all just thinking like one if you can mm -hmm. you know and every band tries to do that right? sure but in bluegrass you'd have your head handed to you if you you know if yeah. you like as a young comer right you know they just wouldn't play with you if you stepped on people right you know no i totally rock get and that. roll people have volume knobs they just get yeah them, yeah you know? 
yep the the, the foot pedal in front of them and they just keep pushing it down yeah. keep hitting their overdrive button yeah yeah i get it <laughs> yeah uh at least i thought you know of course i was like 19 and i was running around with much older players you know so maybe yeah. maybe if i'd been 35 i wouldn't <laughs> have had that strong sense of you know yeah but it was lessons well learned oh totally so yeah. uh speaking of you know playing out toured for a while do you have any and i i've asked you know bobby yeah. and uh and jim also do you have any good tour stories or road stories or yeah most of them are off color uh, it was yeah. the 70s and 80s and <laughs> i understand <laughs> yeah uh, but actually yeah there are a couple that are pretty funny um <laughs> i was in a band the band that I mentioned earlier, you know, having gone to California to yeah. put together, yeah. it was called Rodeo. Okay. And this was early in the country rock days. Mm. And we went from Monterey, California, up to Sandpoint, Idaho. Okay. At, when Sandpoint was much less developed than mm. it is now. And rented a couple of houses. We rented one band house. Yeah. And a friend had another house. And uh, we just woodshedded. Mm-hmm. And we said, okay, we got two months to get the tour package together. Yep. And it starts in January or whatever yeah. the date was. And um, so while we were playing there, we were taking gigs that we could get. Sure. And the Professional Rodeo Cowboys Association, PRCA Rodeo, mm. is that's the NFL of rodeos. Okay. And they had rodeos in Sandpoint, Idaho. They held him there, and we got to be friends with a rodeo clown who later became famous as a country western singer, a guy <laughs> named Mo Bandy, and uh, he was Bandy the Clown then, and we got, to, <laughs> we got to know him through these things, and we started playing the rodeos. Oh, nice. And what we would do is they had a big old flatbed farm truck, Yep. Uh, and they'd, take, they'd leave one side up, and they'd take the back and the other side off. Mm. And we put one ginormous A7 speaker cabinet <laughs> on the cab. Yep. And then our vehicle would follow with the other speaker. <laughs> and we had hundreds of feet of electrical cord <laughs> and people roadying this cable out while we would drive out in these funky, funky trucks. <laughs> and they'd park and we'd play our set. And then we'd knock the mics down real quick you know, and sort mm. of lay over them like, you know, like a, a you know, like secret service yeah. in an emergency or something. <laughs> and they'd real quick unplug the speaker from on top of the other vehicle, get it down, throw it in the, in the truck. And we'd zoom about 55, 60 miles an hour into town so that we could be set up for right after the rodeo when they came back <laughs> over for the dance. <laughs> it was just surreal, the whole thing. You know, you yep. roll in. You're electric as you're rolling in, but it's no way to play. <laughs> you play your set, and it was really cool because it was really funky, old-time rodeo. You know, yeah. wooden bleachers and the whole oh, deal. Yeah. And then you knock your gear down, scream down the road, just <laughs> by some freak and make it alive. Right. And uh, Yeah, things and then, that would not be legal today. Yeah, yeah, and then you have the time of your life that night because those rodeo cowboys were, imagine, enthusiastic in a bar. Uh, you can't imagine that, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. That was that was a fun. Yeah, <laughs> well, uh, that's such a unique experience. I, I yeah, I don't even I don't know that anyone else that yeah, has done that. Yeah, crazy. And um, 
That's why I love asking people their favorite stories because musicians have some of the craziest stories because they've traveled so much and you're bound to encounter some sort oh, of craziness. Yeah. And, and, and then one leads really to cool. another. And, yeah. Yep, and it's so true. Yeah, I love it's it. It's really funny. <laughs> I love it. So uh, tell me about your CDs. What, what do you got oh, here? Yeah. <clears throat> so a couple of years ago, and I suppose that's good enough for the camera. Yeah. Uh, Gus LaCase, who I understand is going to come and talk yeah, to you Yeah, we're chatting soon. with him uh, later this week, next week. Yeah. Gus and I did this record. Uh, Gus called me up. We, we did one, or, one gig when he was 12, and he was a you know, mm. fabulous player at yeah. a very young age. Yeah, I've heard him play. He's fantastic. Yeah, and so when he was 14, pushing 15, I think it was, he called me up and he said, I got a few gigs. I sort of thought it'd be fun to uh, do them as duo. Yeah. Would you yeah. be up for it? And uh, so I said, yeah, it sounds great. So he sent me his material, which, of course, was... Um, I think of it as drinking from a fire hose, trying to mm. learn his material because mm. it was just huge amounts complex. of really great complex material. Yeah. And the style he plays in, you don't play a song for three minutes. In three minutes, you play a half a dozen songs. Yeah, right. And you just play snippets. So that was a lot of stuff. But it turned out to be a wonderful thing, and a handful of gigs turned mm. into two and a half, three years of playing together. Dang. And an album that we did a couple of traditional tunes on this, but otherwise... Either he wrote it, or I did, or we did together. That's awesome. And I'll do one little short instrumental that we cool. both did together. Um, I had originally written it, showed it to him. He put such a cool part on it on the record mm. that I had to give him, you know, yeah. write him in for the credit. Totally. Uh, and I'll, you'll only have to imagine his part. Ex exactly. Yeah. And <laughs> I'll then listen. It, I'll listen to it after we're done. So yeah. Can, okay. Yeah. And it's it was a fun project. Uh, we toured it for a while and had. Um, Awesome. Did you time. plan on doing a CD when you guys first started playing together? Not at or? all. No, it was the furthest, furthest thing from our minds. Mm. But um, he had done a CD, and you know he felt he was getting beyond where he was when he had recorded it, because mm. he was 12 or 13 when he recorded that. Yeah. You know, he was, and he was maturing fast, so he, he'll tell you that. Sure. So anyway, he, he uh, wanted to do another, and I wanted to do another, and I had the gear, and I had the time mm. so we did that's awesome and it's uh this is called the forgotten dream with gus lacase and it's on spotify cd baby cool. but itunes all it's the rest better of it. to it's better to come buy it from you in person but it's much better to buy it from us in person <laughs> that's right yeah because you may not know this but musicians don't see much of the money when you do it through the online services it's true so especially where, streaming. where can people find that if they well, want to check gus it out is probably still hawking it we've still got a few okay, and cool. i am and uh uh, we're around. Okay. Come see us. <laughs> uh, and we'll we'll stick links um, oh, in the description of, okay. of the video for all this stuff too, and great. and we'll get with with you on that. So. And, and then the other cool. project was with Bobby Lane, who we've right. also spoken yeah. to. And uh, Bobby and I again, uh, either I wrote it or she did or we did together. That's awesome. And uh, that was a fun fun project. Bobby plays a bunch of instruments, and I yeah. play a bunch of instruments. So we each played a bucket of instruments and then brought mm -hmm. in ringers for the stuff that, sure. you know, we brought in some great local players. That's awesome. Uh, Jim Kaufman, and, uh, who I yeah. also met. Yeah. Mark Bluesboy uh, did some harp with us, and uh, Scott Allen played drums on it. Awesome. Yeah. Great players. Uh, talked with Mark uh, last week also. Oh, oh great. Yeah. 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 Again, like we were saying, this community is amazing with musicians. And it it's, is. It's just really cool. When you consider how few people there are. Yeah. 
how many of them are decent musicians mm -hmm. and how many of them are decent people too. Mm -hmm. It's like, wow, that's a pretty good percentage. It is. It's <laughs> really shocking. cool. And that's something that we were talking about too. And I can't remember if it was either Jim or Mark, but uh, we're really fortunate here that the high school has such a good music program because yeah. a lot of places don't have that. And it's, we're, we're just really lucky that uh, the, these students are lucky too, that if they are passionate about that, that it doesn't get wasted. It doesn't get lost. Yeah. I, it's a privilege to live on this island. It is you know, huge. Because there's that, I mean, for kids, my niece, my niece's daughter uh, learned to sail, you know, mm -hmm. at the top flight yeah. level for free, Yep. you know, over in Southwest Harbor. She learned how to drive, you know, how to mush dogs. That's so you know, cool. Dog sleds. And, you know, stuff like that. Most high school kids don't get that no. opportunity. No. Nope. It's very cool that. It is. It's so cool. You know. Yeah, and kudos to the people who choose to do that with the extra resources, mm -hmm. as opposed to what else might have been done. Mm -hmm. You know, it's very true. Yeah, we're really we're really happy, you know, to be raising our kids here, and it's it's cool. Yeah, it's yeah. a healthy place to be. It is. Well, um, thank you so much for chatting with us. It's we really fun. appreciate it, and I'm thank I'm you. looking forward to hearing you play. So oh, good, me too. Yeah, we'll uh, dip out for a second, and we'll come back and hear you sing some songs. Sounds good to me. Cool. Thank you. Thank you so much, Peter. So this first tune is one that. Uh, I did a couple of years ago with Gus LaCase, and uh, I bought an old farmhouse out on Indian Point where I used to love to hang out with as a kid, and um, crows, we got crows, and Gus and I were working on a record, and I was working on this fingerstyle tune anyway, and uh, crows got into this really fun argument, and I tried to sort of get a little of the feel of uh, crows bickering at each other, so this tune's called Crows in the Field. teenager and we lost track of each other for 30 some odd years and reconnected and uh, so while we were not connected all those years I bumped into a friend of hers I think I was playing in Aspen Colorado at the time and he came into the club we were playing and somehow uh, we figured out that we had a friend in common and uh, so anyway that put her in my mind while I was out in on that tour, we were in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and all over Montana. And, uh, so this is a song about uh, someone who I am lucky enough to share my life with. Mm -hmm. 
A long time ago in Montana You remember a girl that you knew Somewhere near Billings or Bozeman The late sky so clear and so blue Dance with me, dance with me, move around slow Let the world and the years fall away Dance with me, dance with me, I wish I could fly I wish this was how we could stay You're thinking in terms of forever Like forever's familiar to you can't believe you could ever forget her Those eyes, were they gray, were they blue Dance with me, dance with me, move around slow Let the world and the years fall away Dance with me, dance with me, I wish I could fly I wish this was how we could stay Rises over the freeway, stars peeking out through the haze, riding that highway for hours. Montana seems different these days. You know that you never will find her. Opportunity knocks once they say. Maybe if you had been kinder Maybe it's better this way Dance with me, dance with me Move around slow Let the world and the years fall away Dance with me, dance with me I wish I could fly I wish this was how we could stay I wish I could fly I wish this was how we could stay So that was partly in Montana, partly who knows where else. Yeah, 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 I heard you in there. So this next song is about cycles and changes and somehow getting through them all. Um, I wrote the song two or three economic downturns ago and um, thought that it was the biggest one that I would deal with in my lifetime. And that made me think of the Great Depression and all of us have relatives that uh, had to get through that. and. Most of them did. We, as a country, we survived. As a family, we survived. So that sort of inspired this song. Um, it's called Let It Rain. Tenant Farmer, 1933. He would have been about as old as me. Things just seem to dry up everywhere. Scratching crops out of oaky dust Half a tractor turned to rust Grandpa 
kept on working anyway. Let it rain, rain. Oh Lord, if you're listening, let it rain. Grandma did with what she could Kids and chores and firewood Nothing in the pantry much those days She worked herself to skin and bones Tried to make that shack a home When she felt like breaking She would say Times got better and the kids survived Made new families and brand new lives Learned to make a living other ways I went back looking for their place Long since torn down, not a trace Sat down in the rocks and weeds and it rained Oh, it rained, rained. Grandpa, you should have seen it, how it rained. Oh, it rained, rained. Better late than never. Let it rain. So, when I was eight years old, I bought a guitar from my two oldest brothers, who were nine and ten years older than I was. And they had bought it mail order from Montgomery Ward, I think. And at the time, that was a pretty common thing. It was a real heyday of the uh, Western cowboy on TV and reruns and Saturday matinees and all that stuff. So you could buy guitars with cowboy themes on them. They might be uh, one of them. I'll describe a couple in the song, but they, you know, they'd have a picture, just a Western picture that spray paint on your guitar for an extra five, ten bucks. And the guitar I had didn't have that. Instead, it had the spray paint wood grain where they used a pretty cheap piece of wood and they made it look a little better by pretending it had fancier wood grain to it. Uh, but cowboy guitars were a thing. They were a big thing for me and uh, so I wrote a song about them not too long ago and my good pal Bobby Lane and I did a record and we were hoping to do another one soon and this one I imagine will probably find its way onto that one.
I got my first guitar mail order At the time they were every boy's dream We were all cowboy stars when we played those guitars Painted on wild western scenes Now there's one with two cowpokes together By the light of a painted campfire After long days of roping them doggies We're singing out under the stars What a lady And on this one's a pair of young sisters Just bursting with wild prairie charm Laughing and singing together Those boys on that other guitar And they sing the old songs by the campfire Songs you don't hear much these days About chuck wagons under the moonlight Now the long wagon train is winding Staking its way toward the sun While wranglers keep it on moving Cowpunchers' work's never done What a lady Some were lost to the passing of time Some of them went to collectors I don't know what happened to mine But they'll all sing together forever In the paint on those cowboy guitars Harmonies reaching the heavens For all time on those cowboy guitars Harmonies reaching the heavens all time on those cowboy guitars. What a lady, what a lady. Cowboy guitars. Thank you, Criterion Theater, the view from 32, Chuck and Taylor, and everybody that works here in the behind the scenes crew. Uh, keep her going, we need you. Thank you. Hi everybody, and welcome back to A View from 32. Taylor and I are sure glad that you're all joining us here with this venture. We're talking to some great musicians. We're gonna have a, just a wonderful lineup of stories and locations to show you, and we, we hope we can grow this into something really nice. I want to start my bit today with uh, just a little bit of what was going on back in 1932. In 1932, the economy continued to deteriorate and unemployment increased further to 24%. Not quite where we're at. There were few jobs and many ordinary Americans were forced into living in streets or in old cars. Towards the end of the year in November, the American voter used the power of democracy to show Herbert Hoover what they thought of his term of presidency during these bad times and voted strongly in favor of Franklin D. Roosevelt by 472 electoral votes to 59. Changes also occurred around the world when Britain jailed the Indian nationalist leader Mahatma Gandhi, kind of setting off that whole transition. 
Also in Britain, the first ever splitting of the atom occurred. And in Russia, major problems with the agricultural policy caused mass starvation and death. So times, they may change, but boy, the past sure has an echo. I'll tell you the cost of living back in 1932. The average cost of a gallon of gas was 10 cents. Pork and beans were 5 cents a can. You get a chuck roast at 15 cents a pound. And the average price of a house, $450. Now, wouldn't that bring you just a little bit of a joy finding, finding something like that? And, uh, you know, I have been thinking a lot lately about joy in, uh, in my readings of poetry and my experiences of life. And I just, I, every day I keep coming to the sense that if, if I can find that moment of joy, that, that, that beautiful wave, that, that one thing that you, you reach out and you accept in and you really take into yourself and, and just try and understand the, the beautifulness of it and the joy of it and hold that for a moment, boy, that, that brings me so much relief sometimes. And, and I've got a lovely reading from Khalil Gibran. You may know him as the author of The Prophet. Uh, wonderful wordsmith, wonderful sentiment and intent with his writings. This speaks of joy and sorrow. Your joy is your sorrow unmasked, and the selfsame well from which your laughter rises was oftentimes filled with your tears. And how else can it be? The deeper that sorrow carves into your being, the more joy you can contain. Is not the cup that holds your wine the very cup that burned in the potter's oven? And is not the lute that soothes your spirit the very wood that was hollowed with knives? When you are joyous, look deep into your heart, and you shall see that in truth you are weeping for that which has been your delight. Some of you say joy is greater than sorrow, and others say nay, sorrow is the greater. But I say unto you, they are inseparable. Together they come. When one sits alone with you at your board, remember the other is asleep in your bed. Verily, you are suspended like scales between your sorrow and your joy. Only when you are empty are you at standstill and balanced. When the treasure keeper lifts you to weigh his gold and silver, needs must your joy or your sorrow rise or fall. Thank you very much. Uh, we're really going to try and, and, and build this out to, a, to a, a lovely thing every week with you. Uh, I am certainly not the uh, brightest bulb in the marquee, but I'll be here to do my bit. Thank you so much, and thanks for watching A View from 32.